0: This is message number four in our series, Bringing Good Out of Temptation. Recapping Dr. Joel Hunter's topic so far, first, why to fight appetite, followed by why to annul rebellion, and his last message, The Temptation for Revenge, and his subject for this message, Breaking Free from Fear and Suspicion. From the New American Standard... Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 through 39, will be Dr. Hunter's text for today. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called, and whom He called, These he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now, let's join Dr. Hunter for his message number four in the series, Bringing good out of temptation, as he talks about breaking free from fear and suspicion.
1: We are going to read the scripture text at the last part of the service uh, responsively. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> this service leads toward that scripture text to where all of us can read that with full assurance. I want to talk to you this morning about fear, and you may be partially confused if you've read the title of the message. It says, Breaking Free from Fear and Suspicion. And what we've done in this worship time is really um, approach the Lord with fear. Well, both of them are appropriate to this morning's message because the Bible does not say that you should not have fear. The Bible says you should have appropriate fear. because there are two kinds of fear. One type of fear is your very best friend. And another type of fear is your very worst enemy. And the mature Christian will be able to tell the difference. As a matter of fact, the first kind of fear is the solution to the second kind of fear. The Bible talks about what Pascal, Blaise Pascal said, there is a virtuous fear that leads us to depending and there is a vicious fear that leads us to despair. And what I'd love to do with you this morning is to begin just to approach this very solemn subject. Now, I realize it's a crazy time of year even to be talking about fear. Good grief, you're here probably by the skin of your teeth. School's getting over and the vacation season's starting. I know it's a huge period of transition, but you're here. So I want you to concentrate on something very, very important. Very, very deep. It is important that we understand that God wants us to have a certain kind of fear. Now, here's the difference. The difference is that God gave us in our very being an attraction toward that which we feared. A natural sense of fear. But over a period of time, Satan takes that natural sense of fear and switches it. And so, God gave us the opportunity to stand before him and tremble at, at, at his power, And His Majesty. But what we end up doing is being afraid of people. God gave us a very specific thing to look at. And when we do wrong, a very specific thing to regret. But what we end up doing with that fear is letting the spirit of fear come over us so that we just kind of have a nebulous thing. We're kind of afraid of everything and we don't know exactly what it is. You see the deterioration. Now, let me go over uh, a few. Um, things with you. First of all, I want to tell you that everyone starts out, when they're little, afraid. One of the benefits of fear is this. Not only is it good for our survival, it teaches us that not all things are safe, but it also, when you stop and think about it, makes you the center of the universe, The great thing about paranoia is that you think the whole world is coming after you. And it's kind of an ego trip when you stop to think about it. When we are little and we are afraid, we think that the world is centered around us. And so the world is out to get us. And it's interesting to watch the development of small children. We've had three boys. And boys do this a little bit differently than girls. Boys go through predictable stages of coping with fear. Boys do it through getting themselves scared of, like, monsters and enemies and bad people and stuff. Boys love to watch, at some time in their life, love to get scared at the movies. Love to watch scary movies. Now, not all girls like this, but boys do. I can, I can testify to that, and I can testify from when I was a kid. I absolutely loved to get scared to death at the movies. As a matter of fact, I was telling a group of uh, Lyman athletes last week... I can remember one specific time in Shelby, Ohio, when they, at Halloween time, had the absolute scariest movie. They advertised this thing for weeks in advance. Absolute, it said in the paper, right there it was. The paper doesn't lie. Absolute scariest movie ever made. You'll have a heart attack and die. People have been carried out, comatose, being so scared at this movie. Well, you know, as a small boy, we read that and say, Wow, I want to go to this. I can go to this. I'm not going to get scared. I'll tell you what. It can't scare me. Well, to add to the suspense of the thing, someone started a rumor in our hometown. The movie was about gorillas, and about you know this—it was kind of a 3D thing where gorillas come at the screen. You know, somebody started a rumor in our hometown that at the height, the scariest part of this movie, somebody was going to release a live gorilla in the theater. Holy cow, you talk about just being scared. There wasn't a dry pair of underwear on any boy. I mean to tell you, we were walking to this movie, but we were like, ah,
2: oh, it's not going to scare me.
1: I can't wait to get there. How about you now? I can't wait to get there either. Here this movie theater is, got like 400 seats, small movie theater, Castamba Theater, Shelby, Ohio. Absolutely packed, mostly with little boys. I mean to tell you we had the greatest time and all of us were envisioning at the scariest part of this movie some lunatic releasing a live gorilla into the theater. And all of us had the same thought because we checked it out with each other afterwards. All of us have this thought. If some nut releases a gorilla into this theater even though there are four... Hundred people in this theater, that gorilla is going to find me and tear me apart. All of us were thinking that why? well, there's just something in us that likes to be scared and that has a sneaking suspicion that somebody's out to get us now, like I said, girls are a little bit different. I didn 't have any daughters and but I kind of watch little girls every once in a while. I'm hoping for granddaughters but girls girls do this in relationships, you know Bobby likes who. I can't believe it. He's left me. Oh, now I'm going to be an old mate. I've got a pimple right here. Do you see that? My life is over. It's over. I get thee to a nunnery. I'm out of. See? just They panic themselves in relationships. It's just a different thing, but it's the same dynamic. We, like, hate, can't stop being scared. Now, how does Satan take that and translate it into the body. Well, how how he does that is this. He slowly takes our legitimate fears and makes them illegitimate fears. Slowly takes our legitimate, wonderful, respectful, fearfulness of God and makes it illegitimate fears of people. I got a call this week from a lady. I just couldn't believe it when I got this call. This lady calls up and says, Are you mad at me? And I thought, What? She said, you haven't spoken to me in two months. You go right by me in those halls. And you never speak to me. What have I done to you? Well, I didn't have a doubt that this... I could not even remember passing this lady. But I didn't have a doubt that she was absolutely right. First of all, I am the absolute airhead of all time. I've always been that. When I walk walk in a hall... I'm usually thinking of something else, and I can look right at you and never see you. My wife all the time says, Hunter, we talked about this. And I'll say, when? She'll say, last Tuesday for a half an hour. I have absolutely no memory of it. I'm all, I am all—I just, the lights are on. Nobody's there. He's gone. He has left the body. He's somewhere else. Plus, I have this thing that is kind of a reverse compliment. If I don't come and talk to you, most of the time, it's because I've seen somebody else who probably needs a little extra inclusion. I think of you as a homie, you know? If I, I don't usually go to the people I already know. I always think, them. oh, well, they got their friends, they're already included. Who really needs to be included is somebody who's standing over here all alone. So that's the person I'll go for. So I have no doubt that I did not speak to this woman because I thought her of her as one of my very best friends. But you see what happened in her mind was, he's mad at me. He's mad at me. What did I do? Now, right there is a sign of Satan. By the way, <clears throat> the difference you can tell the difference between genuine conviction of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of fear that Satan puts on you. Genuine conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know exactly what you've done. And you know you need to repent. But there's a spirit of fear that comes to you that says, you're not quite sure what you've done, but you've probably done something. And you don't know why you feel guilty but you should feel guilty just simply because you're a worm, so feel guilty. It's this oppressive kind of nebulous thing. That's what that's what Satan does. That is that suspicion about yourself and about everybody else that takes you over. If you don't know what you've done, don't worry about it. It's not God, it's from the other side. You can recognize it right away. So that's the kind of fear you don't need to have. And that's the the, the way it just kind of tears you down, you know, and it can take what is an absolute compliment and turn it into just the opposite. It's kind of like a little boy who went to a neighbor's yard and his dog, his huge dog came over and started licking him, you know, and he went screaming, crying home to his mother. The mother said, did he bite you? And the boy said, no, but he tasted me. <laughs> well, she took the compliment of the friendliness of the dog and turned it into a threat. That's what happens in our minds. That's what happened in the life of Elijah. First Kings 19, read it. Elijah, Jezebel is, is chasing him and Elijah is so afraid. And he goes and he pictures himself all alone in the world. Only I am left, God. Take my life. It's all over. God saying... <laughs> Man, I'll raise up 7,000. I got 7,000 people are going to stand with you, Elijah. Don't panic. But you see what was happening in his mind. He was the only one being attacked. Same thing happened with Adam. After he took the forbidden fruit. His words, Genesis 3.10, I was afraid, so I hid myself. You see, there's that kind of fear that drives you to despair and isolation. And that's the kind that God does not want us to have. The curious thing about this is that it can only be cured by the other kind of fear that God does want us to have. The fear that comes from genuine worship of a holy God. Martin Buber is a a great Jewish theologian and he said this, something very curious. It sounds paradoxical, it is paradoxical. He said this, That only as you enter deeply into the love of God from the fear of God can you never be cast out again. Now doesn't that sound strange? But it's true. Only the kind of entrance that comes from absolute dependence on God. God, I have no other resource. And I'm afraid to come to you, but you are my only resource. Can you find the kind of love that gives you the ultimate security? Why would God say, I don't want you to stop being afraid of me. I want you always to have an inkling of fear. Why does Scripture say, Philippians 2.12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why is that? Wait a minute. Salvation salvation means I'm saved. It means I never have to worry about hell again. That's right. Salvation means I live in grace. I have the power to conduct my life in the power of Christ and to be more than a conqueror. That's right. But God still wants me to be afraid. That's right. You know why? J. Wallace Hamilton once put it like this. He said, People are funny. When the news is bad, they go to pieces. But when the news is good, they go to sleep. Listen to this. Love is built with an inkling of fear. Otherwise, we take each other for granted. Otherwise, we don't really pay attention. An inkling of fear is the prerequisite to absolute, deep attention. It's the prerequisite for never taking each other for granted. It draws us closer. Somebody called me last night, and pastors get these kinds of calls all the time, reporting on sin in the congregation. And usually... You know, with several thousand people coming here, I usually can't connect a face, and that was this way last night. But this was... I felt so bad for this guy. He was married a long time to this lady and and just pouring out his heart. She was committing adultery. Um, she was living with this guy, and and both, he said, are attending Northland. I don't know. Now... I prayed with him as best I could. And after I hung up the phone, I thought, how in the world can someone sit in this ministry and go on in unrepentant sin? How can they not be scared to death of the judgment of God? And the answer was in my question. They've lost the fear of God. Somehow they've come up with this picture that God's just a loving, pansy, milk toast kind of God. Somehow, because they have lost that fear, they have found themselves in sin. And you know what? I bet if that couple's in here right now, they're more afraid of me discovering who they are and coming to them and saying, cut it out, Which, by the way, I will. I will, if I know who this is. Because I love you that much and I love a holy God that much. I don't want you in that kind of sin. But they're probably more afraid of me discovering who they are right now than doing what they're doing in the presence of God. How can that be? We have lost that holy fear of God let me show you one of the most frightening verses in all the Bible. Turn with to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. This ought to scare us to death. It says, "For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. You know what that means? That means if you can go on in the presence of God and sin without repentance... A, you don't have what you thought you had. And B, there's nothing left but judgment. What a horrible truth. Now here comes the wonderful part that is every bit as wonderful as the horrible part of the bad news. The wonderful part is that if we do Fear God enough to take Him seriously. And fear God enough to look at ourselves in a truthful way. We need fear nothing else. John Witherspoon, old Puritan preacher, said, Only the fear of God can cast out the fear of man. That's why, in order to walk with courage, in order to walk with boldness, we need the fear of God. Because it's only in Him that we can have the safety. Only He has the power to protect us from a world of sin. The world which resides in us. If we're taking Him seriously, we can take everybody else delightfully. Let me say one more thing and then we're going to take the proof of how much God loves us into our bodies. When I used to watch scary movies when I was five or six years old, you know, as a, as a boy, you don't ever want to admit you're scared, but I was scared to death. I'd go in my room. I'd see the light in the hallway. Just be trembling. One night I got up. My mom was watching TV. She was a single parent. I didn't have a dad that, you know, was kind of the protector. My mom weighed 90 pounds soaking wet. Here she is out there watching TV. Midnight, past one, two in the morning. I go out and I just sat beside her. Now, she didn't want to embarrass me by looking at me and said, you're scared, aren't you? What she did, though, was say, Joey, those movies you've been watching are really scary, aren't they? And I went. (laughs) Then she said something to me that I'll never forget as long as I live. And I've tried to say this to my three boys in many ways as they've grown up. She looked at me and she said, You know, if anything would ever really endanger you, it would have to come through me first. The only thing that ever endangered us was our sin. And it had to go through our Father first. It killed him. But because it did, we're safe. Please pray with me. God, as we are about to partake of these elements, help us to know the holiness of you, and the awesome power of your love. Give us, Lord God, the right kind of fear so that we can get rid of the wrong kind of fear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would the communion servers please come forward at this time? As they come forward, let me say to you, if you've never taken communion here before, that this is an open table for all of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. If you've not yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please pass the elements by. These are four those who have partaken of Him in their heart. I would ask a couple of other groups of people also to consider passing them by. If you are a Christian who is an unrepentant sin and you refuse to repent, please do not partake of this table. It would dishonor the sacredness of the elements. There are also maybe some of you, though, who just haven't got business taken care of with God. And you just don't feel like taking communion today is something that you ought to do yet. It's not that you're unrepentant in your sin. It's just you're just not real comfortable doing it yet. Again, feel free to refrain from partaking of these elements. Now, one more prayer, please, for the consecration of the elements. Lord, we come to you those of us who are about to partake in full humility, admitting our sinfulness and our need of you. If there are any this morning who want right now for you to come and live in their heart so that their first act as a Christian can be to partake of this sacrament, let them invite you into their heart right now. Admitting their own sinfulness and And admitting that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of their sin. And asking Him to change their lives. God, for the rest of us, we recognize that we are not worthy so much as to take up the crumbs under Thy table, but Thou art the same Lord whose property is to have mercy. Have mercy, therefore, gracious Lord, we humbly beseech Thee. For Thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, the same night before he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, said, Take, eat. And in that same night he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, said, Take, drink. In that spirit, come, be with us, we pray. In his name, Amen. As these communion elements are being distributed, we are going to read Scripture to you. Please partake of that Scripture also.
2: The first one is Hebrews ten nineteen through 23. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. from Lamentations 3, 21 to 25. This I recall to my mind, therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him and to the person who seeks him. From Isaiah 41, verses 9 through 13. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you, will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand who says to you, Do not fear, for I will help you. From John fourteen twenty-seven, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And from Philippians four, six through nine, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything of excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now I'd like to read some stuff to you from the book Psalms Now by Leslie F. Brandt, who has captured the spirit of the Psalms while using surprisingly contemporary language. Um, This is Psalms Now 121. Where should I look for help in my need? The majestic mountain peaks that probe our skies, or to giants of industry that hem our cities? To satellites that circle our world, or to computers that store up our knowledge? The answer to my problems and the fulfillment of my needs must come from God himself, from him who created the skies and mountains and man to dwell in their midst. He is a great God who knows our every desire, whose watchful eye is upon us night and day. We can make no move without his knowledge. His concern for his children is constant. His love for them is eternal, and thus the Lord will keep you. Shielding you from the forces of evil as a shade tree shields you from the rays of the blazing sun. He does care for you and he will fight with you against the enemies of your soul. Whether you be coming or going, he knows the course you take and he will go before you. And the last one from Psalms now 23. The Lord is my constant companion. There is no need that he cannot fulfill. Whether his course for me points to the mountaintops of glorious ecstasy or to the valleys of human suffering, he is by my side, he is ever present with me. He is close beside me when I tread the dark streets of danger, and even when I flirt with death itself, he will not leave me. When the pain is severe, he is my comfort. When the burden is heavy, he is there to lean upon. When depression darkens my soul, he touches me with eternal joy. When I feel empty and alone, he fills the aching vacuum with his power. My security is His promise to be near me always and the knowledge that He will never let me go.
1: Thank you, Krista. And while the rest are being served, let me again say to you, there is great news in this sacrament. And the news is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we could be justified and saved from the wrath of God. And having been saved from that wrath, we need fear no other. In that night, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God, even now as we listen to this song about your ability to meet our every need in your own way, we celebrate that strength, Lord God. We celebrate the fact that we have a heavenly parent for whom love means that anything that would harm us ultimately must come through you first, and therefore it will never get to us. Give us confidence in that strength. Give us fear and trembling in that strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.